Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 15, verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 11. This is the word of God. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And now skipping down to verse 7. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Do you remain standing as we pray together? Father, we are grateful that you've given us this morning to sing, to see each other, to look into your word, and we pray your Spirit's continued presence as we enjoy being together, hearing from your word, and may all that's said be in accordance with it, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be, please be seated. Well, after a busy week, it has got to be tired, deserving a Sunday morning off. The it is hypocrisy. It's been busy this week, I know it has, it's busy every week. Whether it's gossiping at school, maybe spreading the gossip, whether it's that morning drive in which uh, you exchanged a word or two, a gesture or two, when you were cut off. Maybe it's being in that HOV line, high occupancy vehicle line in which you were all alone. Literally in the car, looking around, hoping not just police officers weren't looking, but someone from church didn't drive by, as you shouldn't have been there. Hypocrisy, you would think, would take a morning off, especially a Sunday morning, to rest up for the week ahead. It's going to be busy, I'm sure. But as Pastor Andy Davis says, on Sunday morning, hypocrisy gets dressed for church. It polishes up the image. It puts on a show, conversations in the church parking lot, in the aisles of the church, even over coffee in between services, all handled with the skill to hide the reality. Well, as I've been studying this passage of Matthew 15, it's really the first half of this chapter, I have certainly found some insights that have been helpful to me about this topic of hypocrisy. One of them is that I realize I can find it in a lot more places than I first thought. It's not limited to just people in that moment of sin away from church. Hypocrisy can be found at a Christian concert, at a Christian camp, at church. It can be found, dare I say, in big churches and small churches, standing behind the pulpit on a regular basis. But lest you start looking up 
and down the aisle this morning to try to identify these newfound places of hypocrisy, as I've studied it, I've realized I need greater reservation of ever even thinking about doing that. And one of the biggest things is what this passage begins to reveal, and that is that hypocrisy, though it is used probably about 20 times in the New Testament, that it is used in a, by people that we should uh, give us caution as to whether we're to be the ones that accuse others of hypocrisy. You remember the time the Apostle Paul called out people and called them hypocrites? Oh, he never did. Uh, how about uh, fast-talking Peter? Oh, he's quick to say things. Well, he never did either. Luke and John, the other disciples, Lydia, Priscilla, there's only one person in the New Testament, almost 20 times, it's always in the Gospels, who calls out and points at hypocrisy. And it's the Sunday school answer this time, Jesus. There is something to learn from that. That though Jesus will broaden our view of how wide hypocrisy is, just like he did with murder and adultery and some other things in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's going to broaden us our view of what hypocrisy is. And yet there's something very telling that he is the only one who calls it out. Is everybody else a, a coward about it? No. I think he's doing it because of what hypocrisy, according to his teaching today, really is. It is a matter of the heart, and only Jesus knows hearts perfectly. In fact, I would say that since only Jesus knows for sure the human heart, that part of what we need to do is not be looking around for more hypocrisy, but rather to be a cardiologist with only one patient that's looking after only one heart when it comes to this subject, and that's the one found within your chest. You're a cardiologist of one, and we need to study and understand what hypocrisy is, because Jesus spends an entire half chapter here on it amidst the other times he references it. So let's get started. First of all, an explanation of these first six verses of Matthew 15. Jesus is, is, is interfacing with people who are from the big city. He's no longer dealing with just some local teachers, the local Pharisees or, or theological authorities there on the seaside of Galilee, which wasn't much of a place if you were from Jerusalem. But now he's got Pharisees and teachers, the the highest level of authorities, of respected uh, authorities on the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish teachings of the scriptures. And they have traveled probably at least 70 miles, depending on which way you have traveled, uh, which route you take from Jerusalem up north to Galilee. They've come a long ways. To pat them on the back? No. They've come a long ways to look for faults and to catch him in his teaching. So they're essentially spying, spying on things that they can now bring out, and not just on Jesus, but on his disciples, this close band of disciples that he has pulled into his circle and begun to live life with them. And so sure enough, as they come up there, 
They watch Jesus, they watch his disciples, and they say to Jesus, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. It's worth a little explanation here, because we can miss the teaching, like, you know, first of all, what's the big deal of washing your hands before you eat? It wasn't a matter of hygiene. It was a matter of something that they had done, which they had pulled out of Exodus with some of the, the instruction to the priests that would go in and perform their ceremonial duties. And they had to do certain things in terms of how they dressed, how they prepared for that, including a ceremonial washing of hands and feet. You can find it in Exodus that involved being ceremonially in accordance with what God wanted to be able to carry out their duties. And over time, over probably a few hundred years, the, the leading Pharisees and, and teachers of the law had begun to take that and begun to do two things. Broaden the application of that, where it could be used and where they were applying it, and broaden the number of people involved, they essentially had begun to, be, to, to have these human traditions, these human teachings that they said, this is important and all of you need to be doing it. It involved a certain way of washing their hands. In fact, I, I came across just some descriptions that, that they, they say you had to pour the hands and you had to have your fingers down, first of all. And you're not using soap, you're just pouring it on in a certain way. And then you would turn your hand and pour it with your hand, with your palm down. And, and there was just a regulation of what they did, often in sight of others, so they were noticed. Now I came across a video of a modern Jew describing, in this case, how he washes his hands. And he's very clear in this little video of his hand-washing ritual that he doesn't use soap. He said, it's not about hygiene, it's about me drawing closer to God. And he actually says as he does it and runs water over his hands two or three different ways that he gives a pair of thanks, a prayer of thanks to God. If, if that's what the Pharisees had been doing, using something as a way to trigger a closeness to God and done it perhaps like this gentleman did on this YouTube video in private, it'd be a very different story, but that's not what was happening. What was happening is that they were doing something to be seen, and they were doing something in which they began to elevate this particular practice, this human teaching, above the scriptures. And their hearts weren't in the right place as they did it. So two issues, elevating something that was concocted in the human heart above God's instructions. We're going to see that pretty clearly. And at the same time, as they practiced it, they did it with cold hearts, with distant hearts, we'll also see. It was not something that they did that they intended or accomplished a growing closer to God. Jesus would say in verses 3 and 6, for the sake of your tradition, you're doing these things, not as an act of worship. So Jesus is going to show them these things. Let's take a look at that. In fact, he, he really doesn't address this ritual hand-washing but he begins to talk about something that, that has some similarities. This hand-washing is an example, you Pharisees, 
you teachers of the law, of you elevating your human teaching, your human practices above God's instructions, God's command. You are elevating your teaching above God's. And he does it by just asking them a question. Why do you break, verse 3, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Look at verses 4 to 6, and let's compare what follows God commanded with what then Jesus says, but you say. So he begins by saying, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, the fifth commandment. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. You can find that in the Old Testament. That's what God commands, and then Jesus goes on to say, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then that person does not need to honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. The word void there is, is translated a few different ways. They all are pretty similar. To make void, to nullify, to cancel. You heard that word recently in modern culture? To cancel? Tradition over Scripture. So in a sense, the, the Pharisees, Jesus is going to go on and say, those who are viewed as the best lovers of Scripture, you ask anybody in that culture, who, who reveres the Scriptures the most? Who loves the Scriptures the most? They would say the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And yet those same very people were Scripture cancelers when they wanted it to be. They canceled Scripture when it didn't fit a particular need or way of thinking or agenda in their lives. So how, how do they do that? Well, they took the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother. And, and, and again, Jesus is just assuming that anybody would know that honoring your father and mother in that culture, like it should be in any culture, involves when a parent or, or a mother or father is in need financially, if that occasion arises, there should be a willingness, in fact, a, a sense of duty and obligation and desire to be helpful financially to the degree that you're able to do that. So having assumed that rather obvious application, the formula was this that they had come up with over a few hundred years. You privately talk with your parents and say, what I would have given to your needs, helped you out, I'm going to give to God. So you quietly say that to them. And then you announce your gift or offering as they so did. Remember Jesus said, don't blow the trumpet when you're giving a gift. So you privately say, I'm not giving it to you. And then in a very public way, you announce, I'm giving this money to God. And it gets even better. Now free of your financial obligations to your parents, you can hold on to the money. This was built into their tradition. You didn't even have to give the money. You just had to announce your intention to give the money. And they had different ways in which they could annul. They could even just get out of this obligation. And I guarantee you, they didn't come back about a year later when they got out of that obligation and said, I'm not giving the money after all. Nope. No way. What? 
a devious scheme, quite honestly. To steal from your parents in private and then announce your show of generosity loudly in public. That's exactly what they did. It's an example of a distant heart from God. Because when a heart is distant from God, one of the things Jesus is showing us that that shows up is is a willingness to elevate my intentions above what God would have me do. My plans, my agenda, my even philosophy on life, my standards gets elevated over God's standards. You know what? That shows up a lot in our own culture. The fact is that even the worst of politicians and famous people who sometimes quote the Bible will will actually bring up things. They'll, They'll bring up, do not judge. I commend them for bringing up a scripture. I commend them for for saying something like, Jesus taught us to love one another. In that statement, they are being absolutely right. Those things are in the Bible. But like our own tendencies, and like even very normal, average people, those ones do not pass the test of allegiance to Scripture. When, When Scripture has something to say that doesn't agree with my outlook in life, My outlook on life wins. Well, I think one of my applications that I've learned as I've studied this is I need to stop being surprised. I need to stop being surprised that this happens. Because it happened way back then. It happened among those who in culture seem to most revere the scriptures and yet, given certain contexts, were a canceling scripture kind of people. I need to stop being surprised when Bible-quoting politicians and and famous people and sports stars, scholars, actively stand against issues of life, issues of sexuality, when it doesn't agree with what they want to be the case, with their agenda. I need to stop being surprised when self-professed, often church-going Christians, in quotes, flat out reject the Bible when it doesn't agree with their lifestyle choices. Some of the most scripture-oriented folks to ever live, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, canceled scripture when it didn't fit what they wanted. So I need to stop being surprised about that because I think just being alarmed and flabbergasted and shocked is not near as important as surrendering my energies to what God would have me to do. Because he'll go on now in verses 7 to 9 to say, you hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah the prophet speak of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The word hypocrite's kind of an interesting word. I know, you know, every one of us could have a definition. If we wrote them all down and compared them, they'd probably be pretty similar. Our our, our version of hypocrite is someone who says something, usually something of high moral ground, matter of faith, or just high moral ground, and then they're inconsistent with it. I I think that's a pretty good summary, wouldn't you say? And I think that's a very valid portion of what Jesus is telling us, is someone who's a hypocrite. But, But he grabs a word that we don't find anywhere else. Again, he's the only one that says it. 
he grabs a Greek word that literally means a stage actor. And back in those days, from what the historians tell us, it was people who would be on stage, and they weren't just playing a part, picture an actor today, an actress today. Yeah, they're playing a part that might be very different from who they are in real life. But, but theirs went further. You know, they were playing a part, and they had often masks and attire that was totally different from who they were to play that part. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think Jesus is saying, don't go to the theater. He's more just saying, that's, in a spiritual sense, what is happening right around me. You probably look some of the Pharisees, some of the scribes in the eye. That these people are play-acting. There's a mask. The costume doesn't fit reality on the inside. Yeah, our, our version of hypocrite tends to be someone who's backstage, not practicing what they said in front of others, in consistency. But Jesus' version is a people honoring me with their lips, carrying out sometimes Christian service, worship, sharing needs, doing praying, doing things with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So Jesus really is teaching a much broader scope of hypocrisy. It's not a matter we need to jettison what we have, have thought in the past. Inconsistency. Someone who does not practice what they preach and on a regular basis lives very differently in some circumstances from the higher moral ground or the, or the tenets of their faith. That, that is hypocrisy. But it is just like the Sermon on the Mount's teaching in other ways. We need to broaden and get our thinking of hypocrisy in line with Jesus', with Jesus teaching. Because he keeps emphasizing it is broader. And one of the things he's clearly saying is it's a distant heart issue. A distant from me heart issue. And the truth is that's often present much longer before blatant evidence of hypocrisy begins to get noticed. I remember a friend, a friend of mine who was in a, a, 20 years ago, was in an oncologist, a cancer doctor's office. He was there with a family member who had just recently been given a diagnosis of what seemed to be a very early tumor, very early cancer. And, and in some way or another, the, the, one or the other, or maybe even both of them said, Said, communicated to this oncologist something along the lines of, um, you know, is it really this big a deal? It's, it seems to be so small, doctor. And he told me, I remember, you know, one of the things as a, as a, as a physician, you get told all these medical things, but he told me a week or two later when I saw him at, at, at church, he said, and I think he pulled out his bullet, and he said, the doctor pulled out a piece of paper and just made a little dot you know, just did circled a couple of times. So it's a little bigger than just a pinpoint. He says, you know what that is? They both didn't know what to say. They were thinking a, dot, a black dot. Doctor said, that's a million cancer cells right there. It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective of what seems to be inconsequential or almost even undetectable for a period of time. And so Jesus is, is warning us that a distant heart from him, and yet going through the motions of Christian activity, Christian service, Christian worship, is something that 
is fraught with the danger of growing towards hypocrisy and increasing inconsistency between our lives as we preach versus what we do. It is a warning to us. A man named Charles Pope said it this way, hypocrisy, in another way, is a desperate search for human approval and applause. It's willing to play many roles, wear many masks, to give the audience what they want. And he goes on, and I commend him for this insight, he goes on to just take a look back at the Sermon on the Mount. That was a place Jesus repeatedly talked about hypocrisy and pointed out hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites. He says to his disciples, hey, take care, Matthew 6, take care not to perform your righteous deeds in order that people may see them. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do so that they may be praised by others. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So Jesus is is turning our thinking upside down, I think, in some ways, as it revolves this topic of hypocrisy. Because we expect holiness on stage, and if we're going to find hypocrisy, it's out there, off stage, in a hidden place, in a dark alley, in a, in a moment when it seems to be safe, to let our guard down of this holy appearance. Jesus alone knows hearts, and he'll say you can find hypocrisy wherever there's religious activity and a heart that's distant from me. Off stage in the secret places, actually, is the best place to look for true holiness in one of my followers. In the prayer closet with the door shut, sending money to others, seeking to do it inconspicuously. Not because God's not going to know us, but maybe in a sense to protect your own heart from the stage. Quietly serving the widows and the orphans and anyone in need. I think the opposite of hypocrisy is when you go to a funeral of a godly woman, a godly man, and you already thought a lot of them, but, but as their kids or grandkids or a friend that's known them since the earliest years of elementary school speak about that life, you keep just sitting there saying to yourself, I just never knew that. And you smile with greater and greater appreciation for having been in that person's life. Because you realize not only there was more to that person, but so much was done in the secret place. So much was done without any fanfare at all. You know, the second half of this, I'll take less time on that, is, is Jesus going from speaking about hypocrisy and, and the stage actors of what hypocrisy is. And now he moves on to just talking about the, the error that these Pharisees and scribes were making about what really gets into the heart and defiles you. 
Because the, the hand washing ties in with that. They, they were, if they were in the marketplace, they'd come and ceremonially wash their hands, thinking, that world out there has contaminated me, and I just got to rinse it off so I can get on with my life. Jesus will have a teaching here that, that corrects that. But not before his disciples bring up to him, in verse 12, that Jesus' teaches is, teaching is bothering these Pharisees. And that's kind of making the disciples uncomfortable. They, they like the rest of culture, had, had revered these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And Jesus is saying pretty pointed things about them. You know, there is something that's uncomfortable about thinking that someone can outwardly do some wonderful things can outwardly do much acts of service, whether in culture or some person of great fame or someone just in your neighborhood, and yet be so far from God. You know, Jesus is reminding us of that, that, that we need to remind ourselves that at the final harvest, the Pharisees and teachers of the law will be in the same category as every one of us and everyone who's ever lived that there will be a sorting out, not of good deeds, but a sorting out of hearts that surrendered to Jesus and hearts that didn't. He'll say to, the, to his disciples in the very next verse, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. You know, when you root up a weed, you pull it out. Spurgeon says, not pruned, rooted up. It's a reminder of what you hear us talk about often here. The greatest of news, of the good news we talk about. And that is in Jesus. His work on the cross is there for those who would trust in him. Who, who would come to a place where they say, I, my sins have made me unworthy of God's presence. But Jesus' work on the cross makes me, compels me to believe in his work and surrender my life to him. That's what enables you to know whether the Father has planted you or not. Jesus will teach about their practices, and over in Mark, the same passage expands just a little bit. I'll just reference one verse, Mark 7, verse 4, where it's not just the hand-washing. If you've been in the marketplace... Been around scoundrels like Lars or Ben out in the marketplace. You need to wash up, get ceremonial clean for dinner. It, it was something where the Pharisees extended this to all kinds of things. Mark 7, verse 4. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace. But there's many other traditions, Mark says, that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. That's right in the scriptures, Mark 7, verse 4. I don't know how you clean up the couch before eating, but they had ceremonial ways in which they did all these things. It wasn't, again, a matter of hygiene or getting the dirt off, but, but they extended it to all these things and were so caught up in these things and placed them on a tier higher than the scriptures in terms of importance in some ways. But the Pharisees did have something right. They, they had a desire to be clean, 
But they looked out there in their environment. They looked away from themselves to say, what's going to get me contaminated? And Jesus corrects them and say, it's in here you need to look. Remember we talked about being a cardiologist of one, looking inwards to the heart. They looked around and asked, what evil out there will attach itself to me if I'm not careful? But Jesus said, it's what attaches to your heart, not your skin, that matters. It's what things you see that settle inside and darken the heart. It's what you hear and finds lodging in your heart that can be what pollutes you. You know, we don't struggle with these sanitizing rituals of the Pharisees. They're foreign to us. But I think there's some questions worth asking ourselves today. You know, Jesus gives the example of saying, it's not what you eat that defiles you. What you eat passes through the body. It's what comes out of the heart, what comes and lodges in the heart and then comes out that defiles a person. So maybe one of the questions as you walk through life this week is asking the question, will it pass? Not will it pass like will I get over this, will this be over with? No, will it, whatever I am allowing to come into my life, come into my, my existence, into my eyesight, and my hearing, to the degree that I have control over, will it pass, if it is not of God, pass through me, like Jesus said, food will do. I can remember thinking that one few, or a couple of times, eating a meal, you know, 20-some years ago in a leper colony in Southeast Asia and asking the question, Will this pass? But Jesus is talking about things in our environment that have the potential to lodge in our hearts. Do any one of us have absolute control over our environment? Of course not. But we have a fair amount of control over certain things. What we allow our eyes to see, we allow our ears to hear. The friendships we choose. And we need to ask the question at a personal note. And I think it varies. No doubt there are principles and, and themes of what we would all agree with. i got to stay away from that, or i got to be careful about that. But I think there's variation of what settles in our hearts, from men to women at different ages, based on our experience. I remember in college just being around someone, and, and a certain, some music came on, just some, at that time, just popular rock music. And this brother, new in the Lord, just... Asked me to turn off the radio. I was like, man, I kind of felt unholy in that moment. Like, why? I'm sorry, I'm listening to a little bit of rock music in the car. And then he explained to me, I've recently come to Jesus, and the association for me of certain kinds of music is so strong with my old life and what it reminds me of and places I was when I heard that song, whatever it might be, I need to stay clear of that. It was a valuable lesson early on in my adult years that it has differences and we need to respect and, and, and encourage that kind of self-introspection in our in, in lives. So the other question is, what is entering your heart? You know, food doesn't enter your heart. It's important to your health, no doubt. But that's a good question for us to say, what is entering your heart that Jesus would say, Sooner or later, that is going to erupt if you allow it to fester. Maybe the application comes down to this, that 
In some ways, we need to ask the question, what am I allowing to enter into my heart? And the other question might be, what is already there? That with a theme we've heard about several times in Matthew, needs repentance, needs cleansing, needs an, an intentional meeting with God to say, Lord, there's some things in there I just I need you to be working on and cleansing me of that. Even if you know you are in Jesus and, and the eternal punishment from that is not the concern, you nonetheless want to grow more and more holy in Jesus. And you say, Lord, I need you to be doing something with some of these things that are lodging in my heart. You know, this past week, there was... Uh, a news story, and I won't get into the news story, but it had to do with, you know, the, the sad loss of life with a mini submarine that was deep under the water, searching, I guess, for, for the Titanic. Or, and uh, it caused me to just see one news story. I'm not, you know, the, the aim is not to talk about that. And frankly, the aim is not to talk about social media, even though there's a quick commentary on both in what I, a few sentences I read. I think I have a lot to do with Jesus' teaching here. It was someone from the LA Times just a couple days ago that wrote about it and, and was clearly troubled by just the comments out there in social media about this circumstance. Uh, often callous and mean and just ugly comments in various ways. I don't even know all would contribute to that. I chose not to want to begin to do research on what the things people have said. But I gather some of it was, uh, someone that wealthy is trying to do that. That's okay. Uh, that maybe it's had to do with someone just, if they got that much playtime to goof off with that, they deserve what they get. Or maybe it's just the silly humor of a heart that at times can be so cold that the loss of life just means nothing. It's worthy of a joke or a few silly memes. Listen to what this writer from the LA Times said. And again, this is not a comment and emphasis on social media. It's a comment that has to do with what we're talking about here today from Matthew 15. Social media is evolving into an increasingly ugly and chaotic space. A real-time depository for our own worst impulses. Scatological humor ill-formed thoughts that should be kept to ourselves. It has become a garbage dump of vile commentary, publicly aired, because that's just what we do now. I agree with all but one thing that she said, to be honest with you. I can't agree that all those nasty eruptions on social media should be kept to ourselves in the sense that that's possible. The truth is, Jesus says, the lava of our hearts will erupt. And just saying, I'll let it continue to molt and it won't erupt if I'm a good citizen or I'm trying to be more responsible is an option. So we need to get serious about guarding our hearts. We need to get serious about following Jesus' instruction to pursue the hidden places the quiet places for our greatest service to God. And so when he calls us on stage, you can just be yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your teaching. It's a hard teaching. 
We know that hypocrisy is rightly something that is repulsive to so many people, Christians and people who've never been in a church. Help us to better understand your teaching on it. And rather than give our energy to pointing fingers, would you enable us to learn from you, to pursue the quieter places out of the public eye for our greatest efforts at drawing closer to you. And Father, I pray this very week you would grant us hearts that conclude this week closer to Jesus than they began this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.